Hey, listener, you found us. I'm Christina. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to Pop In, a writer's oasis. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Pop In, a writer's oasis. I hope you guys are ready to laugh today because we are talking to the one, the only, Elaine Price Lockridge. Elaine has only recently started writing at a Shut Up and Write group, but she already has several projects in the works. Elaine is diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer and uses writing to both journal about her experience and to create material for her stand-up comedy. She has been featured on the RNBC Life podcast and has written for the ASCO Post. Inspired by Randy Pausch's The Last Lecture, Elaine is working on a collection of her own stories called The Last Laugh, which is an absolutely brilliant play on words and I think a great testament to her type of humor. Just a little heads up to our listeners today, there is some strong language used throughout this episode. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Elaine. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. You're welcome. Just to jump right into some questions for you, I think a great question to ask any writer, anybody who writes, is why do you write? Um, I write for catharsis, mostly. Um, It's just a form of expressing myself. My mom had really messed with me as a kid. I couldn't write for years because she always stressed, anything you put in writing can be used against you. So I never did a diary. I never did a journal because I was like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not like the musings of a 12-year-old were going to matter, but, you know, I, I couldn't write, and I struggled with that. I mean, if you assigned me a story to write, I could do that, but I wouldn't put my thoughts to paper. So it was quite a challenge for me to overcome when I decided, no, while I'm on this, you know, roller coaster ride through hell, aka my cancer journey, I thought uh, it's time. It's time to commit this to paper. It's time to get it out of my system, my mind. And while I'm doing it along the way, I'm having some fun and I'm leaving something for my nieces and my great nephew to kind of get an idea of what their crazy Thea was all about, what made her tick. Because, you know, I am that crazy aunt that they have. <laughs> you are. You're a very fun aunt. I mean, I feel like you're the uh, the cool aunt. You've got the vibes. Yeah, I'm totally the cool aunt. And, um, you know, they just, uh, they've had a good time with me. They have, you know. I've gone on hot air balloon rides with them. And we've done our crazy road trips. And I'm up for anything, you know. That's awesome. I love that. And you also do comedy. You write your stand-up routines. Where... Do you get your inspiration for stand-up from? From uh, the ridiculousness of having cancer, um, because some of it is just so unbelievable. Um, And it is funny. You have to put a funny spin on it, because you just sit there and you're like, only me. You know what I mean? It's like, only me. Um, Like, well, this chemotherapy that I started, they um, decided that I couldn't have... um, radioactive seeds put in my liver because my Mets has gone to my liver. And they said, well, we don't want to do that because it could cause your liver to go into spontaneous cirrhosis. And I thought to myself, well, the hell with that. If I'm going to get cirrhosis, I'll do it the old-fashioned way and go back to drinking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then they said, okay, well, we're going to start you on uh, chemo. 
And I said, okay, what day? And they're like, oh, we're going to start you on chemo on December 7th. And I said, only me. I said, that's fitting. You know, that's Pearl Harbor Day. I figured I may as well bomb the hell out of my liver. So, you know, <laughs> blow up those tumors. <laughs> I think death is a conversation that makes people so uncomfortable. And you don't have the luxury of pretending like it doesn't exist. And that's what I love about the stories that you tell and your comedy is you're talking about things that we don't talk about because we're scared to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about. It does. I mean, the way I look at it, Christy, is I already know how my story ends. I know the ending of my story. I may not know when, but I, I know how the story ends. So why would I waste my time sitting around mourning, crying, and being overly depressed about it. I'd rather fill the last chapters, or even if they're paragraphs, with just doing a lot of fun, cool shit. So that's what I do. You know, I still travel. I will kayak. I um, still walk, you know, two miles a day as much as I can, you know, two, three times a week. Um, yeah, I, I always say, you know, this girl, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe sliding into home base, but it's, it's going to be with a bottle of Tito's in one hand and, you know, some tacos in the other, you know, that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. My grandfather, um, he had a terminal condition called IPF. And so we watched him, you know, his health decline and it was really hard to see that. But one thing that your comedy captures too, is like the ridiculous things that people say to you. And my favorite was one time towards the end of his life. He had an oxygen tank. You know, he had trouble getting around. It was pretty clear that, you know, he was in poor health. And we went into a restaurant once, and this very nice girl greeted us. And she's like, hi, how are you guys doing today? He says, well, I'm dying. <laughs> and this poor 18-year-old, like, didn't know how to respond to that. But it was just one of those ridiculous moments where you were like, ah, it's well-meaning, and it's kind, and it's a nice greeting. But also, the answer is not going to be good <laughs> when – this is what, you know, mm -hmm. you can see. And then what you see is not always the truth even. Well, yeah. I mean, in my case, it's like everybody tells me, oh, you look so good. You know, it takes a, a lot to not look like a terminally ill person, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I get up and I put on a wig. I'll put on makeup. I'll paint my eyebrows on, throw on some eyeliner, put some foundation on, um, you know, and it's, it's not vanity. I want to stress that. Um, it is that you, when you get up in the morning and you go and you look in the mirror and the first thing you do is go, ah, what the hell is that? You know, it's, it's me and there's my cancer. Like, son of a bitch, man. Yeah, that's right. I have that. And so for me, when I get myself all dolled up, you know, then um, I feel like, like my old self. I feel like my precancerous self. And it, uh, it's a mood elevator, keeps me motivated. I mean, there's days like today, like I didn't put on makeup or put a wig on, and that's fine. But um, it's not really a vanity thing. It's just not wanting to look and see, there's my disease right there in the mirror staring at me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, to, to add to that, it's kind of a sense of, you know, just because you have this diagnosis doesn't mean you have to put your life on hold just to you know, constantly focus on it, right? You know, you doll yourself up. Doesn't, I mean, you know, like you said, there are days where you just don't do it, which is, you know, completely fine. Everybody does the same thing. But it's in the sense of, you know, you do things, you go out, you still live life. The, the one thing I can tell you is like when you get a diagnosis like this, you know, I mean, I've always lived out loud and 
it was hard, you know. I mean, I cried my face off for three months, but then it's like this reset button was hit. And I thought, you know what? You have always lived out loud, so why can't you just die out loud too? You know, screw it. You're still you. So it amped me up to do more, you know. Um, you know, so that's when I kicked up the traveling, the going to Mexico, the going to Hawaii, and, you know, kayaking and and just long walks and, you know, cave, you know, spurlunking, just, you know, stuff. You would think, why is that girl doing that, especially yeah. with, with that? But I figure I'm going to make the most of my mobility while I have it, you know. And as far as like just on the daily and stuff, um, it has not stopped guys from hitting on me. Believe it or not, I have gone and done my comedy and I have literally talked about how I'm wearing a wig and how I've got cancer. And I have guys come up afterward and tell me, you are fierce. Can I buy you a drink? And they're like trying to like get my digits and it's kind of a trip. It's kind of like, you know, so I got to give a shout out to, you know, all the hot 30 something year olds that still want to try to take me on a date. <laughs> and I'm 56. So let us know if you want Elaine's number after this. We'll happily give it to you. <laughs> Hey, I always say, you know what, when it comes to dating a girl with a wig, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because that wig will tell you everything you want to know about her. You know, I always say, you take me on a first date, send me home with my part still in the middle, you ain't getting a second date. But <laughs> if you send me home and my wig is in my purse, then you got game and we're going to go somewhere. We're going to be in a relationship. I'll get up and make you breakfast, so, you know. It's a green flag for you. <laughs> the wig is the barometer That's of how the well barometer. the date went. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is so much fun to have you here. Um, I, I have, like, a series of questions to ask you, but it's just so much fun just talking with you. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep this on track by asking another question, but I'm sure we'll start talking about other things, too. That's okay. Um, what book or piece of writing has had the most profound impact on your life? Well, a couple. I mean, honestly, when I was like in fourth grade and I read Robert Frost's The Road Less Traveled, that pretty much defined my life. I've never really lived a structured life like most. Um, you know, my father used to say I was the stealth daughter. He knew he had one, but he never knew where I was at or what I was doing, <laughs> you know, because I was like, you know, I would leave an itinerary on the fridge and I'd be like, I'm flying to Frisco for pride. Hey, I'm taking off to Tijuana, you know, and, but my dad, he loved it though. You know, I mean, he was like, she's insane, but I kind of like it because she's so independent. And, um, you know, I didn't have children, you know, like most people would. Um, and as far as like having a career trajectory, I didn't have a set path. I always just let my life guide me. When I found out I couldn't have children, I took that and I incorporated it into a, a career and I went to work in child abuse investigations. And I did that for a few years, which was cathartic there too, um, because we basically saw about 2,500 kids a year come through the center and so that had great meaning. After my breast cancer, I went to work for Social Security Disability, um, reviewing medical records um, and doing adjudications on cases, and took that very serious. Um, after my father passed from his pancreatic cancer, I went into hospital case management to directly work with patients. And I was working on uh, the oncology floor even when I had my stage four diagnosis given to me, which my boss called me in and said, this does not seem even right to do. And I said, no, it is. 
because I was able to make such strong connections with these patients because nobody understands a cancer patient like a cancer patient. Mm. So, yeah, Robert Frost, the, the Road Less Traveled, definitely had a big impact. And then, of course, Randy Pausch's The Last Lecture. I love that you advocate not just for yourself but for other cancer patients. And I think it's true that if you have a lived experience – you know what it's like. And so you can talk the talk, walk the walk, and understand in a way that other people can't. I think that's such an important part of advocacy and just being there for other people as an amazing human that you are, just being able to share your experience and listening to others and understanding what they're going through too. Well, my father always stressed that, um, you know, we have a limited time on this earth and he always said that even before his own cancer, and that our purpose is to leave the world a better place than before we existed, to at least attempt to, so that when you do pass, you can pass and know, I tried. And so I've, I've always lived by that. That's amazing. We are talking today with comedian and writer Elaine Price Lockridge. Elaine, what is the most useful piece of writing advice you've received? Oh, um, honestly, it was like, don't edit while writing. Just let it flow. You can go back and fix it later because then you just get too caught up in semantics and grammar. And yeah, so, and I do that too with my comedy writing. I just let it flow. Then I'll go out and I'll, you know, take out the uh, extra words that aren't needed. Do you find that journaling versus like writing for comedy, is that a different, like totally different experiences or are they more similar than you'd think? I would say it's it's pretty pretty similar to my other writings. I just kind of let it flow freeform, all of it, even when I'm writing, you know, about my musings, you know, the, the last laugh. Um, I just let it just out because if I stop and think about it, then I'll just get a block. I feel like you are just such a funny person. Your musings are your comedy. Just structured a little differently to fit a stand-up comedy setting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, no matter what happens, I try to like interject humor in it. And it's like, I was hospitalized in August. Um, I had a reaction to one of my meds and I developed a bleeding ulcer. And, you know, like the doctor comes in and he says, well, you know, it's not your cancer. It's not in your intestines. He's like, but you got a, an ulcer from the bed. We got to pull you off that. And he's like, so you can't eat spicy foods anymore. And I literally, I mean, stuff just comes out of my mouth without me thinking about it. And I just looked at him and I said, doc, look at me. I'm Mexican. I am Latina. Do you understand? My blood type is Cholula Tapatio positive. <laughs> And he just looked at me and started laughing. And I was, and he's like, no, 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 you got to tone it down. You got to tone down you know, your spicy foods. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be hard. <laughs> Nothing tones you down. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you found support in your writing journey? Um, a lot from Shut Up and Write, because, um, you know, if you're left to try to sit down and write when you're at home, you're not. You're just going to be like squirrel squirrel, you know, and uh, get too distracted. So when I go to shut up and write and I'm there with my fellow writers, you guys, it's, you know, we're all there for the same thing, to shut up and write. And then I can get a lot going. Where would you like to see more support? Yeah, I really like the idea of these meetups. 
the meetup settings to do this. And maybe some meetup groups for um, like comedy workshops would be great. Um, It's nice to be able to roundtable and bounce ideas off of each other. Um, And with Shut Up and Write, I, I enjoy that. Maybe a little bit more of us sharing our writings in Shut Up and Write, because I did enjoy that when we did that, because we were able to give some valuable feedback. It's not really a critique, but it is just, you know, hey, how about, you know, this word instead of that word, if somebody is having a struggle or if they were looking for that advice. One of the goals or plans for this upcoming year with POP is to create writer salons where people can come in and read their pieces out loud or do a comedy routine or just put themselves out there. Because I think, I always say this, but writing kind of happens in solitude. And the next step then is to like share it with people that's also in solitude because they're reading it and you don't necessarily get that feedback. So creating a space where you can engage with others and get the feedback. And if you do have like, if you're struggling with, okay, how do I convey this message in my story? Or I'm really struggling with this verb tense even, you know, creating a resource for people to share their problems and hear other people's uh, advice or solutions or, and you don't have to follow it. That's the best part about advice and critiquing is you don't have to listen to what people tell you you should do, but it's at least nice to like hear different opinions on things. Mm -hmm. Are there any upcoming projects you'd like to share? Well, um, right now I'm doing weekly chemo, but I should be going to every other week. And with the holidays, you know, I took a break from doing comedy, but I'm going to get back up on stage. Hell yeah, I am. I'm going to take this bald head and put a henna design on it. They're called uh, Henna Crowns of Glory. There's an organization that endows henna artists to do this for us cancer patients. And I'll get up there and be the queen that I am on stage. You know, I'm going to do some more of that. Um, Get some more digits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, let's see if they, uh, let, let's see how they feel about, you know, me with being bald, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, they're shameless. You know, I get asked, I have been asked, are you bald all over? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think we've talked about this already, but like the invasive questions people ask or maybe well-meaning people, but they just say the wrong thing. I read an article, a Broadway actress who had cancer diagnosed at 30 years old And she had said, like, you know, people are going to get it wrong. They're going to say the wrong things. They might be well-meaning, but they say the wrong thing. But the worst thing you can do is to say nothing at all. Yeah, absolutely. I'd rather people be open to talk about it. It's, you know, it's like the elephant in the room for a lot of people. And that's part of why I do the comedy, because it really does break the ice for them when I get up there and I, you know, tell my killer tits joke, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, which basically I get up and I drop the bomb that, you know, hey, you know, I'm living with stage four cancer. And I always say, it's all right. You know, it just gives whole new meaning to the phrase, I got killer tits. And then <laughs> people start laughing, you know, because, you know, it's, it's okay. We can talk about it. I had the pleasure of seeing a clip of your comedy And we're going to actually get to share that with our listeners, which I'm very excited about. So it's about to come up. But one thing I really think is cool is you can actually hear the audience getting more comfortable as your set continues. Yes. You know, at at first you're like, you know, I'm a cancer patient. And everyone's like, okay. You hear the the collective. (gasps) Yeah. Or you see somebody like nodding their head or like, oh, they put their hands on their heart. And then you you tell your first joke, killer tits. And it's like, okay, you've created that entrance into talking about this difficult subject. Mm -hmm. And then you you do your next joke and then you have your wig joke. And it's like, 
you have everybody rolling by the end of it. And I and I I, I just I really love that. There's an article I just read too about doctors saying that like we want to see real death in television and movies, not just like this instant moment of like somebody driving their car, they get into a car accident and they die. It's like that that is death. But Real death also looks like a progressive thing, something that happens over time. And yeah, it's a process. Yeah, and it was really interesting reading that and then talking to you today because I feel like that's what you're doing. And taking that and putting it into comedy, I just think it's great. I love it. I do. Oh, yeah. When I, um, when I had to have radiation on my brain because it had eaten through the skull to the dura lining of my brain, um, you know, I went on stage and I hit an open mic and I had said, you know, oh, well, this year I didn't bother to put up Christmas lights on the house. I'm just going to stand in the yard and glow because I had radiation, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's cathartic for me because I take what I'm going through and I get it off my chest through comedy. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I don't even have my comedy bits written ahead of time. I'm very extemporaneous with it. And my comedy mentor, uh, Tony, um, Tony Visich, he just marvels at that because I will get up and I will just launch into this five-minute set, whatever comes out. And he always tells me, record it because he's like, it's good. And then I go back and I write it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I do. I hone it after that. And you met Tony through like a comedy class, right? Yes, I took his uh, his comedy class and uh, I... I found that very helpful because when I first started, I just got up on an open mic thing. And then when I had good reaction, I thought, oh, this is something. So I'll, I'll go to his class and see what it's really about. And uh, yeah, I found, it, uh, I found it to be very informative. That's awesome. Well, at this point, our listeners are about to hear part of your comedy routine. I just celebrated my 55th birthday on Thursday. Thanksgiving. And, uh, I can honestly say that I'm very happy to be 55 and still alive. Uh, my comedy is a little bit different from some of what y'all are probably used to. Uh, see, I am living with stage four meds breast cancer. Now, I know everybody's face drops, and right away it's like, cancer's not funny. Okay, no, it's not. It sucks. But... When you have a diagnosis like mine, you have to have thick skin and fine humor because a lot of weird shit happens when you carry this diagnosis. So I'm just going to share with y'all a little bit of what my life is like, and I call it my silly, crazy MVC life. So having this diagnosis, you know, metastatic breast cancer, it, it gave a whole new meaning to the phrase that I've got killer tits. <laughs> and what I come across a lot is uh, well-meaning people that want to share their um, cures with me, okay? So people who don't even really know me will come up and they'll be like, Elaine, have you done coffee enemas? Because I hear coffee enemas will cure your cancer. <laughs> Venti, a grande. <laughs> I'm gonna say no, baby. That's animal size. 
Tony always says that, you know, you've got that down. Like, nobody else is doing comedy about having stage four cancer. He's like, you slay it with <laughs> That's that. That's true. You found he the... always says, he said, you always make the crowds react. I think it shows that humor really brings connection and understanding, too. 
many people think like, oh, humor is just, you know, something you laugh and that's all there is to it. But really, you know, you can really foster that connection instantly with the audience and it makes it easier, you know, to kind of bring up that you have cancer and, you know, you're doing your, your sets and all that. Well, you know, I'm, I don't think of myself as a tragic figure. I don't like mm. when people want to make me a tragedy. I'm not. Yeah. I'm nobody's tragedy. I'm my own superhero, you know? Mm. Um, I also happen to have uh, two genetic mutations, you know, um, which has led to my cancer. And so I, I often make the joke that, you know, Marvel comic book heroes got, you know, I've got nothing on them because I've got two mutations. I said, my superpower is just growing cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, it has been absolutely amazing having you here with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add and have our listeners here? I just want to stress that, you know, you have to live life to its fullest. It is a finite resource, and it's not one to be not taken advantage of. That's the one to use up. Use up your life. Live, laugh, love, and just experience. People, you know, I think they stress a lot about goals in life or what their legacy is going to be. Sometimes just being yourself, just living, that creates its own legacy in the lives that you touch and the people that you matter to. Well, thank you for sharing your legacy with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You can follow Elaine on Instagram at LaneB2. That's L-A-I-N-B-E-E. You can also catch her live at the WAMAC on February 22nd at 8 p.m. Tune in on February 21st for discussion on author intent, first reader response. To stay up to date on all things pop, visit the website phoenixoasispress.com. Keep writing, keep reading, keep listening, and keep sharing. We will see you next time.